I love Facebook pop-up memories. Don't you? I mean, it amazes me. You know, one of the first things I do is I, I look for that little, uh, little caption at the top to see how long ago was it. Was it two years ago? Was it four years ago? Was it seven years ago? And one of the, one of the next things that I immediately notice uh, is, is how much my children have grown up and changed. They're now 20 and 15, and, and it seems like only yesterday that they were, uh, they were 13 and 8. And it's amazing to me how quickly they change. And then the next thing I notice is not only have they changed, but if I'm in the picture with them... Uh, so have I. And sometimes I'll, I'll look and I'll say, oh, look, that was the same shirt I wore yesterday. as in this picture from seven years ago. My goodness, look how vibrant the colors were. <laughs> I didn't know it had faded so much. I didn't realize the newness had worn off. There's something amazingly refreshing about something that is new, Right? I mean, don't you love to get something that is new, something that is fresh? A new school year comes with new clothes and supplies, new teachers, new schedules, new locker combinations, new face masks. (laughs) A new car has that new car smell, right? If nothing else can sell a new car, there's something about the smell of a new car. matter of fact, they even have air fresheners called new car smell because we love the, the alluring fragrance of a new car. It smells good, and we're tens of thousands of miles away from the end of our bumper-to-bumper warranty, and we love a new car. And the repeated questions, did you get a new car? Why, yes, I did. (laughs) I didn't, but I mean, that's what we say when we do. A brand-new book makes a slight crack sound when you first open it that it doesn't make anymore after it's opened. And if you get sidetracked like I do when reading through a book a couple of years into it, and the corners get scuffed, and the pens and highlighter uh, colors have changed a few times, and it's not as exciting as it was when it was a, a new book. One of the unmistaken characteristics of Christ followers is that we are made new in Christ. Just like we saw in the video today, we are made new in Christ, and He can do that for anyone. I am blown away sometimes when I get to see, sometimes on Facebook, someone that I only knew in their pre-Christian days that has come to understand that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and they've fully surrendered to Him, been born again into Him, and their lives are made new. And you see it and they post Scripture and they talk about how they're serving the Lord. And I love whenever I, I get to see someone made new. If you came to Christ later in life, perhaps, and you run into someone from your high school days or your college days who who hasn't talked to you since high school or college, and when they learn that you're a Christian, it doesn't take them very long to realize you're not the same person. You may look the same, but you're a new you. People with whom we've worked with for six to ten years or longer should already know that we're Christians. I think that's a horrible indictment sometimes when people say, well, I didn't know you were a Christian. I had no idea you went to church, and maybe we've known them for for a few years. There should be something different about us. We should still have the new car smell, so to speak, spiritually speaking, about us, in which Christ has made us new and is making us new. Now, in our passage today, and at first I was a little bit... uh, Uh, hesitant or a little bit concerned because there are a couple of different ways uh, to take uh, or to interpret what is meant by being uh, having our souls purified 
And, and in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, there is one clear purpose, and that is that we're being made new in Christ. And we're going to look at several passages today in addition to the short one there in 1 Peter. Many of the passages that we're going to look at will be from the book of Ephesians, so you may want to bookmark that one as well or keep that on your, your smart device. I believe that God wants to do so much more through us than what we can even begin to imagine. If you are a long-time Christian, I want you to know you have not arrived. If you've taken one of those spiritual growth surveys and it wants to know, are you a new believer, or, you know, or are you fully spiritually mature, those are kind of hard to answer because God's not finished with me yet, and he's not finished with you yet. And I believe that God wants to do a whole lot more through you, through your life, than what you can even begin to imagine. God wants to do a whole lot more collectively through the body of Christ here at Dover Christian Church than what we can even begin to imagine. And that is scriptural because in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him who is able to do far more than all we can even begin to think or imagine. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't, don't just look back to the past. Look to the present and, and beyond and ask God, what is it you want to do through me? And begin a time of preparation for things for which he hasn't even revealed to you yet. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, long before uh, you were ever known on this planet, God knew you were going to be here, and God planned beforehand works that you would walk in and that you would do for his kingdom. And we are his workmanship. And the reason that we are his workmanship is that we are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works works. God wants us to be spiritually healthy because he has work for us to do. The people that we saw in the video, when they got their Polaroid snapshots, God's going to be able to use them in powerful ways because they opened themselves up and they allowed themselves to be made new by him so that they could be used for him. All right, let's take a look at our passage. We're just going to read um, all of the short verses there in one, one uh, chunk. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We need to hang on that last verse there. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the gospel. And what is that gospel? What is that good news? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He's our Lord and our salvation, our Savior. And that is the good news, right? This is the word, uh, is the good news that was preached to you. So we're going to be talking a lot about to, clinging to that word, allowing the word to purify us today, and for the purpose of earnestly loving one another. First step, purify your soul. 
Most Bible scholars agree that this purification of souls could refer to one of two things, our conversion or our sanctification, and that we can't really know for sure which. The good thing about that is that regardless of whether this passage is talking more about conversion or more about sanctification, God accomplishes both in our lives, right? I mean, we need both. We need conversion and we need sanctification. Also, it makes today's passage relevant for every single one of us today, regardless of where we are in our faith journeys. If you're sitting there today and and you're just a novice believer and you've never really ever made an official decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to be born again into Him, this passage is for you because you need to purify your soul. If you are a long-time born-again baptized believer in Christ, you've been in church your whole life, you haven't arrived yet, I want you to know that you need to purify your soul in the sanctification way. Conversion is that one-time moment when we are born again into Jesus and have all of our sins completely washed away. The moment that you are born again into Christ, you are saved for all of eternity. And sometimes that's all people think about is just the conversion, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. And we think about being destined for hell versus destined for heaven, and we think about crossing that line, and that's a wonderful thing. But our discipleship is so much more than fire insurance, (laughs) It's about being a lifetime follower of Christ, and that's the sanctification. It is more of a process whereby we become more like Jesus as we follow him every day and allow his Holy Spirit to do that deep inner work within our souls, converted and sanctified. Jesus did his part on the cross, and it's up to us to take advantage of that gift. So when it, it's a little confusing when you, when you read that verse, verse 1, and it says, purify your souls. Well, we can't purify our own souls. If we could, Jesus would not have had to come to the earth and die in our place. It is his work, his finished work on the cross and the proof of the resurrection. That is what purifies our soul. But it's up to us as to whether or not we get in on it. It's like you might be coming home from work and you stop by the marathon station and you get home and you say, I filled up my car with gas. Because you chose to stop at the marathon station and put your debit card in and select the grade of gasoline you want and put the handle in your, in, in, inside of your car and, and pump the gas. But you know what? You really didn't put gas in your car. The pump did that for you, right? <laughs> the pump is what filled up your car, but you took it there and, and allowed it to get, to get filled up. You see, we don't purify ourselves, but it's up to us to get our souls purified, to get to Jesus. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say, It is for by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, We can't save ourselves from our sins, and we can't make ourselves holy without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Conversion seems more likely in the context of verses 20 and 21 that Jerry shared with you last week. Verse 20 explains that Jesus existed before the world was ever made. He's eternal. Before the foundation of the world, it says in verse 20, Jesus existed then. And he came to earth in the form of a man for our own benefit. Verse 21 tells us why. Verse 21 of, our, of, of uh, 1 Peter 1 says, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God raised him from the dead and gave him the glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope is not in ourselves, but it is in God. However, sanctification means most, uh, <clears throat> seems most likely when considering the overall theme of holiness in 1 Peter. <clears throat> I think both are true. I know both are true, but I think both are implied. Um, it takes a full surrender to God. You probably have heard me say before that I used to teach a, a class on how to become a Christian and how to join our, uh, our church. And, and I would oftentimes start by saying, if I had to teach this class and could only use one word, it would be the word surrender. Surrender. Because Jesus paid it all. And surrender is the hardest part. Surrender is your part. Right? That's the part you have to do. You have to surrender. You have to quit trying to earn your own salvation and turn it over to him and then trust and put all of your faith on him. That's what, that's what faith means. It means to put all of your weight against something and trust it's going to hold you up. And that's hard for a lot of us to do, right? It's like stopping to ask somebody for directions before GPS. <laughs> Nobody likes to stop and admit, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm lost. I can't make it my, my own way. And that surrender is so often the hardest part for any of us to do. And you know what? No one is righteous, not even one. Not even one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glory. Now, for some of us, that ought to be uh, take a little bit of the pressure off, right? Because we're all in the same boat. You're not in church today with people who were good enough to be here. <laughs> they qualified. They were holy enough, spiritual enough. No, no, no. This is not a, a haven for the perfect. It's a hospital for the imperfect. That's why we're here. That's why we come together, because we know that we are not perfect on our own. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace, looking for more sinners to come in and be saved by grace with us, right? It takes full surrender, and that is the hardest part for so many of us. The truth that is talked about in this passage the truth that we are purified to is the truth about who Jesus is. It is our belief in him as the Son of God, our trust in him to be our Savior, and our obedience to him as our Lord. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? In other words, what's the word about me on the street? What are, what are people saying? They begin to answer that question. Well, this is what I'm hearing. You know, Some say you're Elijah or one of the other prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. You've come back from the dead. Some say this, some say that. And at some point, Jesus kind of interrupts them, and he makes it personal. And he says, but you, who do you say that I am? And it's Simon who speaks up. Of course it is. He speaks up, and he says, well, you're the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one the Old Testament's been pointing to all this time. You're, you're he. You're him. It is you. <laughs> You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You're our Lord and our Savior. Actually, Peter said, Simon said, you're my Lord and my Savior. It was very personal. And Jesus didn't say, oh my goodness, you know, thanks, but I'm just a good teacher and I'm not all that. No, no. He said, you're right, Simon. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven, you get it. And he changed his name from, from Simon to Petros. He goes, you're a rock. The name Petros, Peter, means rock. You're a rock. 
And on this rock, this foundational truth, in other words, on this answer you just gave, I will build my church, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ, the Son of God, that I am your master, your Lord, your boss of your life. And I'm the only Savior of man. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he's one we should fully surrender to. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I'll confess to you before uh, recent study in recent years, uh, uh, you know, I thought that this was about confrontation, (laughs) about how to confront people in a loving way. Speak the truth in love. Don't hold anything back. Don't sugarcoat it. Let them have it. Speak the truth in love. The truth it's talking about there is the truth about who Jesus is. It's the gospel. It's that last verse in our text today that we cling to, this good news that was preached to us. The gospel is about Jesus. The speak the truth in love means we should love our family and love our neighbors and love our coworkers and love our classmates so much that we tell them the truth about who Jesus is. We share the good news with them. This isn't about confrontation. This is about invitation. This is about inviting people into what we have found through Jesus. He is the truth. John 8, verse 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in me, I'm sorry, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, that truth about who Jesus is, that gospel, that good news. Purify your your souls. Secondly, obey God's word. All of these are in that first verse, by the way, verse uh, 22 of our text. Obey God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 26 that in all, all of heaven's authority had been, this is after the resurrection, had been given to him and that we should therefore go and make disciples of all kinds of people, all ethnicities, all ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the great commission. You hear me say it all the time. It's not the, not the good suggestion. <laughs> hey, if you get some time, you ought to think about this. Now, this is our, our Lord, our master, our boss, and he's commissioning us. This is what we've been commissioned to do, to go and to make disciples. But it does not end uh, there with that one verse. Because Matthew 26, verse 20 goes on to say, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Sometimes we're good at the first part. Put out the open sign, invite people in. They choose to come in, they hear the good news, we kind of put it all on, on them kind of thing. And people are born, but it, 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 do they get the discipleship part? I mean, you know, think how it would be, you know, have a baby be born in a hospital and three days later set the baby out on the curb and say, good luck. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a maturation process that needs to take place as the baby grows. And the same is true of a baby Christian. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. John 1.14 says, and the Word became flesh, Merry Christmas, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory is, is of the only Son of the, of the, from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 tells us about Nicodemus being born again. One of my commentaries says we don't really see the word born, we don't see that term born again much in the New Testament for as much as Christians talk about it. And I started doing a little research and I thought, hmm, I don't think so. I think we do, actually. Romans, or John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 says, Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Jesus had spoken that day about being born again. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He's well-educated. He's wrestling with this all night, and and he can't seem to shake it. So that night he comes, and he finds Jesus, and he asks him, he says, How can a man be born again when he's old? What's this born-again stuff you talk about? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. You must be born again. You must be made new. I've seen people fully surrender at every earthly age of life. I mean, I have seen a man in his 90s be baptized into Christ. I've seen young people who have studied and proven that, yeah, they're making a personal decision. They know what they're doing. And I've seen middle-aged people, and I've seen men, and I've seen women. I've seen uh, intelligent, and I've seen, uh, you know, maybe not as educated people. I've seen every walk of life surrender and come to Christ. And Nicodemus is no exception to that. Being born again is a theme throughout the New Testament, I think. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead, not dead anymore. Made new, born again, right? In Luke chapter 15, we have the three things which are lost, and all three things warned and all out search. And when all three things are found, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the wayward son, when they all come back, there's cause for a great celebration. And it is said of, of that youngest son, the, the prodigal son, it says, the father said to his servants when he saw him in the, in the horizon, a speck in the distance coming his way, he said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this son was dead, was dead and is alive again, born again, made new. He was lost And now he is found, and they began to to celebrate. And that was a long walk, as I understand, as that that young man was making his way. And we know from earlier in the text, it tells us a little bit about his story. He's rehearsing what he's going to tell his dad, because he's dreading this, oh, this is awful. Talk about egg on your face. I can't believe I'm going, you know, I'm going to have to tell my dad. Maybe if I tell him this and this and that. The whole time, his dad's back there going, quick, get a robe, get my, get my initial ring, put on his finger, kill the fattened calf, start a celebration. There's a party being formed for this wayward son who was dead, but now is alive. He was dead, but now he's alive again. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So beautiful, being born again, made new. 
passage that Alyssa read for us earlier, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says we are new creations, recreated, made new. That's such a powerful video. I sat in my office earlier this week when Matt shared it with me, and I just sat there and sobbed as I, as I watched it. And honestly, for various reasons, um, that um, young man battling that addiction, oh, that, that just really touched me powerfully. And then to see the smile on his face when he came, when he came out of that. I have a, <clears throat> we have a young friend in um, the Henryville area that we watched grow up and went through a hard young adult uh, life and hit rock bottom, near dead, jail time, the whole thing. Um, but he, he is born again. He's been made new. I discovered that on Facebook. I thought, that looks like scripture. I zoom in. That is scripture. Oh, his wife must be a Christian. No, he is too. <laughs> and it, it's a wonderful story. He's gone to Bible college, Louisville Bible College. He's, he's serving as a deacon in a church in, in, in southern Indiana and uh, is on a ministry called New Creations, made new in Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 11 says, um, likens our baptism to dying to sin just as Christ died on the cross, buried in the water like Christ was buried in the tomb, raising up out of the water to new life like Jesus, coming back to life and leaving the empty grave behind. Finally, earnestly love others. One reason to become more spiritually healthy is so that you can help and minister to others. It's hard to help others when you yourself need help, right? It's true of every area of life. If you have financial peace and you're not covered up in debt, you're able to bless others. If you're physically healthy, you can help others who are recovering from surgery or sickness by cutting their grass or running errands. There's a reason to be healthy at every level. And you need to take care of yourself so that you can help others. But no other part of your health matters more than your spiritual health. The good works that we're going that we're, uh, to be doing on God's behalf, according to this passage, in our new converted and sanctified state, is to love one another. It's not just to like one another. <laughs> it's not to tolerate one another, to recognize each other as members of the same church, but to intensely love one another, earnestly love one another. The word for earnestly, uh, ektenos, is the same word that is used in Acts 12.5. Ironically, or whatever, it, it, it's when the church was praying for Peter. <laughs> James had just been beheaded. Peter was facing the same fate. Peter was in jail, and there was a prayer service, and the people were earnestly praying for him. Not just, uh, uh, I'll be praying for you. Tell Peter I'm praying for him. I hope things work out. It looks like he's going to get his head you know, <laughs> but this is the type of prayer where, like, they were on their knees, face in the carpet, elbows on the floor, palms toward the sky, earnestly praying. Tears were no doubt being shed. It was a desperate kind of prayer. God, things don't look good, and from an earthly standpoint, Peter is going to die unless you intervene, and we know that you can. And if you, can, if you choose to do so, please do what we know that you can do. Please save our friend Peter. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And when Peter comes knocking on the door, Rhoda, the young servant girl, comes and tells him, hey, guess what? Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, he's not. Peter's going to die. Don't interrupt us. We're praying for Peter. Kind of thing, you know. No, no, he's at the door. I tell you, he's there. He's really there. Actually, she left him on the outside of the door. She was so excited uh, for him. 
Jesus prayed this kind of prayer for us in the garden. Luke 22, verse 44 says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Dover Christian Church is full of people who love each other earnestly. I'm constantly hearing of things that people in this church do, even anonymously, to bear one another's burdens or to carry the load for each other. I mean, earnestly kind of love. Not just, yeah, we're members of the same church. Be praying for you, brother. But I mean earnestly carrying one another's burdens. Amazing things that people in this church do for each other. And nothing draws people on the outside to the church. Nothing is more attractional than when the church is simply being the church and loving one another earnestly. No gimmicks or flashiness, no ad campaign can substitute for authentic Christianity. The church being the church. Healthy people spiritually serving one another because they've been made new and are in a position to care for one another. Acts 2, verses 44 through 45 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, before you think that's some sign of communism where they just basically everybody sold everything, liquidated everything they had and divided it by the number of people and everybody had the same kind of wealth. Verse 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as each had need. First of all, it was voluntary. It wasn't a requirement. But they would say, so-and-so has a need. I'm going to sell such and such so that I can offset that for them. Notice it wasn't, it, it wasn't communism, but it was pure Christianity as each had need. Basically, an identifying mark of a Christian is that he or she does not allow a fellow brother or sister in Christ to suffer alone. We cry when each other cries. We laugh with, with each other when each other is laughing. We celebrate with each other when there's a wedding, when there's a graduation open house, when there's a baby born. Because we literally are doing life together. F.F. Bruce writes, love is an expression of the Christian status. You know, some things are status symbols. <laughs> love is a status symbol for the Christian a real one, an authentic one. John 13, verses 34 through 35 says, A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you, that you, what? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, here's that status symbol, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to close with uh, just reading the words to a familiar hymn, an old classic, Are You Washed in the Blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments <coughs> that are stained, that's allergies, by the way, that are stained with sin. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I had this special moment and I just ruined it right there. I'm so sorry. 
Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? This morning, if you're not washed in the blood of the Lamb, we want to invite you to come and make life's most important decision. If you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, don't write off today as a a, a sermon just for the unsaved. Because there's some sanctifying work God wants to do with you because he ain't finished with you yet. And there's some newness that you need to have, some recreation in the sense of getting new again, being renewed, so that others see it in you without you having to tell them. Why don't you stand this morning and as Matt and his team come to lead us, uh, I'll be standing right over here and would love to talk to you further.